Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining me today in this podcast. Let's get started. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you recognize your potential and not compare yourself to others. I'll also be interviewing psychologist Dr. Chris Friesen, who shares his personal story of recognizing his potential and overcoming his fears. He'll share his insight and expertise in ways he helps his clients shape their lives. know me as a psychotherapist, but many of you do not know me as a composer. My latest album, Restoration, was just released. Restoration is a continuation of the first album, Consolation. I like to think of these albums like books. Each original composition is written like a chapter in a book. And like in any story, the character goes from a sense of grief and loss, and at the end of Consolation finds hope for his future. In Restoration, he has an awakening. And in that awakening, he recognizes all the things in his life which are not healthy. And it helps him come to a place of restoration, becoming greater than he was before. You may purchase this album on iTunes or any other digital music store. The name of the album is Restoration, and my stage name is James S. Miller. The name of the piece you are currently hearing is entitled Farewell. two large pots, each hung on each end of a pole which he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, and while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water at the end of the long walk to the master's house, the cracked pot always arrived only half full. For a full two years this went on, with the bear delivering only one and a half pots full of water to his master's house. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, but the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection and miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bear one day by the stream. I'm ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. Why? asked the bear. What are you ashamed of? I've only been able to deliver half my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to the master's house. Because of my flaws, you have to do all of this work, and you don't get full value for your efforts. The water bear felt sorry for the old crocked pot, and in his compassion he said, As we return to the master's home, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. As they went up the hill, the old cracked pot took notice of the sun warming the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path, and was cheered up, somewhat. But at the end of the trail, it still felt badly because it leaked out half its load, and so again it apologized to the bear for its failure. The bear said to the pot, Did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the perfect pot's side? That's because I've always known about your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walked back from the stream, you've watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, he would not have this beauty to grace his home. Recognizing your potential. Have you ever told someone, you have so much potential, you're going to go so far in life? Or conversely, have you ever had someone say that to you? One of the most difficult things is when we look at our own potential or look at our own future, sometimes we really compare ourselves to other people. We may see someone who we feel is more attractive than us, that has more obvious talents than we do. And so when we compare ourselves to someone else who has a completely different personality, completely different skill set, we're always going to feel less than. And in doing that, we kind of minimize our own ability to move forward in life and to accomplish all of our goals. 
one thing I really have my clients do is really reflect on their skill sets, on their talents. Sometimes people say, James, I don't have any obvious talents. But did you realize that just even sitting next to someone in silence, offering that silent shoulder to cry on, that is a skill set in itself. I know many people who can't do that. So I'm not minimizing that particular talent, but I'm just letting you know that that is something that many people can't do. So even something like that is considered a talent. Often other people have a sense of compassion or just their presence itself calms people down. That is a talent. That is a gift that you have. So when we compare ourselves to people who may be on TV or to different athletes, we are going to find ourselves lacking. Remember, a lot of those people who have these certain skill sets, they do that for a living. They practice every single day. And in doing that, of course, they're going to be good at it. You know, you look at a bodybuilder. A bodybuilder doesn't just go to the gym for an hour or two a day. A bodybuilder spends their whole day there honing their craft, allowing their body to look a certain way. One thing that's really important to recognize is your future is your future. The skill set that you have, personality traits, the attributes that you possess are specifically designed for you and for your future. For example, if I were to look at your life and think, man, I really wish I had this specific talent, or I really wish I was able to do this particular thing, or I really wish I had this person's life in general. Well, let's think about that. My skill set, my personality, everything about me is going to be completely different or relatively different than who you are. And so if I try and put myself in your shoes, I'm not going to enjoy your life. I'm not going to enjoy all the things that you have because my interests are different, my needs are different, my personality is different, how I look at the world is going to be different. So if I put myself in your shoes thinking that I'm going to be happy, I'm not going to be happy. And the same thing with you. When you look at other people around you wanting to be like them, you would not be happy if that was your life. The only person that we should really compare ourselves to is ourself. When we compare ourselves to the more ideal version of ourselves, now granted that's a lifelong process, but when we compare ourselves to that person whose craft has been more honed, that is a person we should compare ourselves to today and say, have I reached the goals that I wanted to this year? Have I developed this certain trait that I've really been trying to work on? And of course, it is okay to admire a certain attribute in a person and work on that yourself, but you can't use that other person as a baseline to say, I want to be exactly like that person because you won't be. So what are you doing today to really honor yourself? What are you doing today to really appreciate all the different talents, the obvious talents and the not so obvious talents? What are you doing to really recognize that those are specifically designed for you? How do you grow and develop those? How do you mature those? That's the question today. That's what I really want you to focus on. You have so much potential inside of you. You haven't even seen the amazing things that are going to happen in your life. And so I really want you to honor that today. I really want you to recognize all the amazing, wonderful things that are inside of you. You are not like everybody else. And frankly, I'm really happy you're not like everybody else. The world would be a very sad, boring place should you have the same skill set, same personality, same attributes as everyone around you. Recognize all the potential inside of you. It's up to you to unlock all that potential. It starts today. Dr. Chris Friesen is a psychologist who has always been fascinated by what makes people successful. He is a licensed clinical, forensic, and neuropsychologist who now primarily helps Olympic athletes, as well as entrepreneurs and executives achieve their personal and professional potential. He is going to share his personal story with us today. Welcome to my show, Dr. Friesen. Thanks, James. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yes, definitely. Those are quite the credentials you have behind your name. That's very impressive. (laughs) <laughs> it, it took a long time I'm uh, sure. to, to get some of those credentials. Um, it's, I'm sure it sounds more impressive than it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> Did you always know you wanted to be in this field? 
Not really. Um, I I, uh, I fell in love with self-help books when I was a teenager, and uh, I I originally thought I wanted to go into more of the health. Mm-hmm. I mean, psychology is 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 like a health profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, I originally thought I wanted to go into medicine or chiropractic. I was very into the physical side of things, but it wasn't until I um, it wasn't until my undergraduate that I actually realized that this was a possibility for me. Um, that I actually decided to, to go in to become a psychologist. Wow, okay. And that's typically what happens is when people are in undergrad, that's when they can really explore that. I know for me, I changed my major like three times until I settled on <laughs> one, so it's, it's very common. Now, were you always this, this confident in your, in your career or confident in yourself? Definitely not, no. I, I, was, uh, I was an anxious kid. I, um, uh, in my book and in my practice, I talk a lot about personality. Uh, my research as an uh, undergraduate, master's, and PhD student were all to do with personality or what we call normal personality traits. One of the main dimensions is called, I call it negative emotions. The literature calls it neuroticism. Okay. I just don't like that term. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's pejorative at this point. But yeah. I, I, I was temperamentally high on the negative emotions uh, spectrum in that I was, I was sort of an anxious kid. My uh, self-esteem was a little bit low, uh, especially when it came to my schooling. Mm. I, I was actually a really bad student, uh, not, a, not a rebellious student uh, per se, but an actually a poor student uh, in terms of my grades. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I vividly recall, you know, being, uh, you know, fearful of being called out in class and how, you know, I would become easily embarrassed or not know what to say and freeze up. And uh, that caused me a lot of anxiety uh, growing up. Uh, so so I was a pretty anxious kid. And, and uh, you know, through sports and some other things, I, I changed things around. And I can talk more about that if you like. Sure. Now, did you find that that, that anxiety translated to your, your peers as far as when you were spending time? time with them or is it just specific to your your academic performance? Yes and no. I think, you know, as we all follow along this continuum, about half of us are on the low side of negative emotions in that we, we, you know, half of us don't really feel a lot of negative emotions, particularly anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, social, uh, being self-conscious, that kind of thing. Uh, and the other half of us are a little bit on the higher side. Of course, most of us are near the middle. Yeah. So with some of my friends, I did notice they, they seem to be awfully fearless uh, in terms of doing things. This is when I was a child, like doing risky things that I thought were, you know, made me pretty uncomfortable. And then I had other friends who were more nervous than I was in, in, in these contexts. So when it came to being in childhood and playing and that sort of thing, it, it didn't really show up that much. It did show up more, in, in, a little bit more when, it, when life became more social. And I I'm also have some introverted tendencies as well. Uh, so that, that played out as well throughout my adolescence. But it really came out mostly in, in school. Uh, there was, uh, you know, I, I had low low self-efficacy mm-hmm. in my, you know, my, my belief in my ability to be a good student. It was actually quite low. And my anxiety, my temperamental anxiety, in other words, I was basically born this way to some extent, uh, but it was being shaped. It was coming out in school context specifically. Sure. And that's a really prominent time for people to develop their self-esteem as well, of course. And so as you went to undergrad, then you kind of could put a name to all this and really understood the nuances of what you experienced when you were a kid. Yeah, you know, actually, it happened a little bit earlier, not necessarily in terms of the names, but when I was a teenager, I... um 
uh, I started discovering sports. I was always athletic, um, and I started to play hockey. I'm here in Canada, and uh, I started playing hockey as a goalie when I was 12. In uh-huh. Canadian terms, that's like an old man. Uh-huh. He, he, that's late in life to start <laughs> hockey. Um, and uh, I, uh, I really loved hockey, watching it on TV, playing a ball hockey in the streets. And I started playing, uh, you know, in ice hockey in an actual league. Um, and it was through th- through that uh, experience that I ended up learning a lot about myself, specifically learning how to. Um, you know, control anxiety under pressure, pressure situations, and also build self-efficacy in the sense that I realized, hey, if I actually tried really hard or I did extra practice or I stretched or did reflex exercises outside of hockey, mm-hmm. I could uh, actually improve. And I, I improved actually very quickly. You know, I went from the worst goalie in my first year to the best goalie in my second wow. year in the in the small house league. And then I jumped a, divi- a, a skill division and, 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 and I eventually skipped an age group and I excelled really really quickly in hockey and it really changed my perception of myself Mm -hmm. because up to that point I really again my self-efficacy was generally low Um, and it wasn't really uh, I didn't necessarily at that time uh you know, understand that, hey, I can just apply this to my schooling. Sure. It wasn't till the near the end of high school that I realized I better do something with my life um, because my hockey career kind of came to a screeching mm-hmm. halt when, when I was cut from a, from a high-level team and had no team to play for uh, when I was 16. And uh, it was at that time where I realized I better figure out what I want to do other than playing hockey as a career. Sure. Uh, and I started to apply what I learned from hockey to uh, my schooling. But I also, in that same period, discovered self-help books. Specifically at the time, it was actually self-help books and biographies. So one was um, Arthur Ashe, the tennis player's autobiography. One was uh, Christopher Reeves, the actor's mm-hmm. autobiography. A very inspirational uh, autobiographies. And also Tony Robbins' uh, you know, Unlimited Power and Awaken the Giant Within. And especially, the, the most important one at that time for me was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of mm, Yes. You know, that that really, really changed my perception of what was I was capable of and how much control I had over myself and the trajectory of my life. So it was those things in combination, you know, helped me turn things around enough to get into university. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing at 16 that you had this revelation that you were interested in these self-help books when most kids your age obviously aren't paying attention to that. So what what an, an amazing insight you had to help you. Yes, you know, and, 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 you know, this, this is, it's almost like payback now. I've written my own self-help book and, uh, it, it's, it's that, those things really, really helped me. They, they completely changed the trajectory of my life mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's, they can be so powerful when you read them at the right time. Certainly. And so it was, it was, um, it's true. You know, I, I was so excited about these, these, these things I was learning from these self-help books. I was trying to tell my friends and most of them didn't seem that interested yeah. at the time. Um, and I thought it was the coolest thing. I ever discovered, and, and that really shaped you know where I was going to go in terms of my career. Although I wasn't 100 percent sure that time, I actually thought you know psychology was very difficult, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought it would be uh, you know I, I had a lot more knowledge of nutrition and you know physical activity and exercise because I was heavily involved in that area. And I, and it wasn't until university that um, I did my first degree in health. It was called health studies at the time. It's called community health science now. That I took my uh, as one of my elect. Uh, introductory psychology that I just said, oh my God, 
that first year textbook was just the, the most fun I've, this is very nerdy, of course, <laughs> the most fun I've had in a long time. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing stuff. And um, that I realized right then and there that I dropped the, uh, my ideas of going into medicine and chiropractic mm. um, or chiropractic, I guess I'd say, and decided I'm going to do another degree in psychology and I'm going to take this all the way. And wow. that's, uh, you know, that's how that worked out for me. That's amazing. One of the things I really like to just stop and reflect on is something that was so difficult for you, you know, your self-esteem and just how you kind of fit into to your world back then, how that was then kind of what pushed you into your purpose, something that you was found maybe as a deficit. All of a sudden you learn more about it. And now look at you, now it's you, some, you've used it to, to such a degree that's, it, it just, it's just so interesting to see the foundational piece. I think it's exciting. Yes, and it's amazing. It's it's unless we reflect on these things, you know, sometimes we, we don't even realize how we got to where we where mm-hmm. we got, you know, where yeah. we've gotten. So it's it's uh, I kind of realized that, but it was sort of a vague notion, and it wasn't um, until people would ask me, or especially when I do podcasts like this, or interviews, or I wrote my book, where I had to actually, you know think about it and, and, and put it in a narrative arc uh, sure. or a narrative story, you kind of realize, you know, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly what happened. It's yeah. like you said, it's this, this sort of weakness I had in a way I perceived it as a weakness and, you know, f- you know, this being very uncomfortable for me and finding, uh, you know, ways to uh, make myself uh, more adaptable to my environment and, and to actually use it to my advantage. And now it's actually my strength. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is amazing when you think back of, of, of how it worked out and how it does, it does uh, make a lot of logical sense uh, when you look back at it. So what was the specific takeaway that you really started to learn when you were 16? What was it that really instilled in you the sense of, I can make a change? You know, a couple of things. One is the idea that, you know, you, you don't have to convince yourself you can do something before you can actually do it. It, it was really, uh, you know, I, I really thought that you know, people just either believed in themselves or didn't, and didn't really have the conception that, you know, actually you can make yourself do things that make you uncomfortable, and the more you do that, the more comfortable you become, and then your self-efficacy, your self-esteem starts to build because of what you've done. Ah, that makes sense. So some people have it out of order then. Yes, I, I think so. And most of the research turns out to support that idea that, you know, doing, uh, you know, doing something that you're afraid to do or you think you're not able to do, uh, you know, leads to change a lot faster than trying to convince yourself you can do, do something before you actually try. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really helped me along the way. It's just, just like with hockey. I, I do recall when I first um, went to play, they, they assigned me. Uh, actually, no, a teammate said, this guy's going to be the goalie to me. And I, that felt, you know, very, uh, a lot of pressure would be on me. It made sure. me very anxious. But I loved playing goalie when we played ball hockey. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to try it. And I had so much fun. And, and, you know, that was one of the first examples that I learned that, you know, even though I didn't, you know, at the moment I was scared to do it, I did it. And it actually mm-hmm. uh, ended up being really, really helpful. Sure. Um, you know, and, and the other thing I learned was just, by reading these, you know, self-help books, autobiographies, it's just that people have a lot more potential than they actually realize, including myself. I really didn't think I had the brains. I didn't think I had, uh, you know, the characteristics, you know, to, to go to even to go to university mm-hmm. or to, to, to go even beyond university. Um, you know, I, I just didn't believe in that until I started to see examples uh, through self-help books and, and these books that, that really, uh, you know, opened me up to 
different possibilities that were not uh, I was just not aware of. Well, I think that's a good segue into the next part because you were talking about people don't realize the potential that they have. What do you think causes most people not to be able to to recognize their potential? You know, yeah, there's 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 probably a number of things. A lot of times we, you know, the social mirror can can play a strong role, you know, how people perceive us. We start to internalize that. So, for example, you know, family and friends, uh, sometimes they sometimes they see, you know, they don't see that much potential in you, whereas other people may start to see potential in you that that you're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I think that plays a role. I think a lot of our uh, psychological characteristics can really get in the way of, of what we can do. The one example, of course, is, you know, the being high on negative emotions is sort of a personality tendency to have more negative thoughts and be more prone to feel, you know, insecure and anxious. Um, these, you know, these can seem all-consuming, and it isn't until you actually learn to you know, overcome some of these or control some mm -hmm. of these or tap into the energy they provide you that you start to realize that you can do a lot more than you think. So I think um, our, our personalities and our interactions with our environments, the, the interaction between our personality and what we're doing can play a major role. I, I know for me, I remember as a, as a teenager, everyone wanted to always, you know, quote unquote party, you know, go out to, to, to clubs, go to bars, go out mm -hmm. to have parties. And there's lots of, you know, everyone liked to drink alcohol and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and everyone wanted to be social. So the social norm was to be very extroverted. And I recall, you know, and I'm still, I'm still quite, uh, I'm not super introverted, but I'm on the, the small, the lower half of the extroverted continuum. So I'm a bit introverted mm -hmm. in the sense that I, uh, you know, I, I couldn't spend all my time being social and being around people. I needed to recharge, go home and, and read and do these solitary activities. And whenever I did that, I felt good and I could come back out and be, uh, you know, and, and fit in very well. But sure. when I was forced into this, uh, this, uh, you know, these social cliques that, that thought, you know, would you mean you don't want to come out tonight? Uh, we should go every single night. Uh, and, and then what's wrong with you? And I actually did think there was something wrong with me. Yeah. But now, like you said, as you have language to describe this, I was also quite introverted in the sense I, that I, I could only take measured doses of this. So the, again, our, our, the way our personalities can interact with either our jobs, our relationships, um, and also our, uh, you know, our just our aspirations as well. Uh, they can be conflicting, or they can actually be really congruent. So mm -hmm. I think that also affects whether people, um, you know, how much they actually can achieve, and uh, what can get in the way of achieving the things you're meant to achieve. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think one of the biggest things as well is when people don't realize that there's more to what they know in the moment that often. Will, will be a stumbling block for them. If they think this is how I'm always going to be, then that often stops them from reaching their potential because if that's all they know, that's all they know. Yes, and and and, and that's a good point because I, I often talk about personality traits and, and, and I try to make make it clear when I say this that you're not necessarily pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. um, so if someone's, let's say, introverted, it doesn't mean they can't act in an extroverted fashion. Uh, of course, the more extreme you are on a trait, the harder it will be for you. But at the same time, um, you, you know, you, you have goals and values and you can go against your personality for, I think, for limited periods of time uh, or in measured doses before you have to pay a price, you know, often a physiological mm -hmm. price of stress. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I, people 
like to, when we talk about personality traits, like to talk about these categories that are solid and uh, they, they are solid to some extent. They, I call them basic personality tendencies, and I use those exact words for a reason. They're basic sense. because they're you know they're pretty simple, and we have them basically from birth. Um, and they are tendencies. They're not you know fixed characteristics. They 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 just sort of nudge us in a particular direction of mm-hmm. thinking, acting, and, and and feeling. And so understanding that we have these tendencies and that they are not you know set in stone. I mean they're set in stone in the sense that generally over time our personalities don't change by the time we hit you know 25 to 30 years old if you measure people 50 you know 20 to 15 years later their personalities are generally the same sure. um, uh, especially relative to other people of their age but but you know that shouldn't be seen as a death sentence in some way or you're stuck in this it just means that we're kind of hardwired a little bit that way and if you understand that and accept it and work with and around it you can be much more uh successful when i say that i don't necessarily mean successful with financially successful i just mean happy and having a meaningful life uh when you're pursuing goals that are meaningful to you for example well for yeah exactly exactly because if you're always trying to be like someone else who may be more extroverted well you're always going to feel less than because that's not your personality trait. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's why there is a, a socially desirable bias of the perfect personality of people who are agreeable, extroverted, open to experience, low negative emotions, mm-hmm. and very conscientious or what I call motivated, motivation and self-control instead of conscientiousness. And there's a people, uh, our society likes to reinforce that that is the ultimate personality characteristics for, for success, happiness, etc. But I I disagree with that. I think that every trait is an advantage and a disadvantage Mm -hmm. uh, depending on the circumstances and what you're trying to pursue, what your purpose is, what your mission is, what your goals are. I'll just give you a quick example. Having super low negative emotions is actually a bad thing if you're an artist, a writer, Mm -hmm. an actor, potentially a psychologist or psychotherapist because if you don't experience a lot of negative emotions, it's going to be very foreign for you when you deal with people that are experiencing those negative emotions. You won't be able to empathize very well because it's so foreign to you. But of course, if you're, uh, you know, a, a, sur- a brain surgeon, you don't necessarily <laughs> have very high negative emotions, so you don't want to, you know, you could panic under the pressure. Sure. So, you know, all traits are, are good and bad. That's the way I look at it. It just depends on what you're doing. Well, exactly. Because I think if, if we have this idea of this is the perfect personality, well, once again, that's something no one will ever be able to achieve. And so we're always looking for this, for this goal or this unattainable goal and we'll always feel less than. Yes, yes. So now you wrote a book, uh, Achieve, Find Out Who You Are, What You Really Want, and How to Make It Happen. Tell us about that. Yes, so this this book is, uh, it just came out a few months ago. It's on Kindle paperback, and now it's on audible.com. Oh, great. And uh, uh, so it's it's um, it's basically, it's, it's part of a handbook, a series of books on high achievement. And so this is book one. There should be three books in the series. I'm currently working on book two. Originally, you know, everyone wants to write a book, of course, um, and, and I'm no different. <laughs> you know, I felt when I was working with a lot of my high achieving clients that I was repeating myself and... And, you know, wished I had something I could give them that would speed things up. I'm, I'm always concerned about the money people are paying me. I want I want them to get the most bang for their sure. buck. And I thought, you know, 
um, if I could just write a manual. So my first thought was to write a manual that, that I can give all my new clients and I'd, I'd you know, recommend they read it and then we can sort of start talking the same language and we can move on to more advanced strategies. Um, and of course, as I that was my first thought and eventually I started to realize that um, I think this would appeal to a lot more people than just the, the, my select few clients mm. that I work with. Sure. And that's what led me to, to start writing the book. And, and in this book, uh, you know, I talk about the subtitle is exactly what it is. It's, you know, finding out who you are, what you really want and how to make it happen. And what that means is finding out who you are is uh, finding out your personality, just like I was describing your basic mm -hmm. personality tendencies. Uh, and also finding out from there, each chapter focuses on a different area. Next one is, you know, figuring out your values, what's really important to you. And, and each of the chapters, of course, I have a lot of um, little questionnaires you can take. You can download them from my website so you can, you know, fill them out by hand. Uh, from there, you find out what your strengths are, what your skills are, what your interests and passions are. Uh, and next, and, and it's only then, in my mind, that you really figure out your mission and purposes in life. Um, and so I find a lot of self-help books will start off like right at the goals, se you know, section yeah, of course. And, and also treat everyone as a one size fits all. So as, as you'll see in the book, the, the, uh, you know, throughout the book, I constantly bring it back to your basic core personality uh, tendencies, uh, in terms of, you know, which types of goals, which type of values and how these might affect the types of goals and values, et cetera, that you may set and how you can maximize your, your, uh, effectiveness or, um, potential when it comes to doing each of these things. So a big chunk of the book is really finding out about yourself. Uh, and then you come up to your, your mission, your, your, your goals. Um, there's a big section on goals and all the new research on goals. And the last section is really just how to make it happen on a day-to-day -day basis from everything of, uh, in terms of how to deal with email, <laughs> uh, excessive email and interruptions when you're mm -hmm. trying to achieve big goals to uh, your energy cycles. So I wanted to make it an all-encompassing book that kind of takes you from, from A to Z. Uh, you... Um, uh, it really is a standalone book in that sense. And, and the way I perceive it is that this book is really a big part of it. It's about finding your motivation to achieving your goals. Uh, and the next uh, series of the next book, for example, is going to focus more on, well, how do you deal with high levels of negative emotions? How do you, mm -hmm. you know, deal with, you know, optimism and uh, persistence in, in the sense of energy, uh, you know, your physical energy, what do you eat? What do you, uh, how much should you exercise? That sort of Thing. And the last book is going to focus more on interpersonal issues uh, for success and uh, also the development of expertise in your area. So it, it's been a really fun process. I bet. It's quite comprehensive as far as how all those books link together. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm the type of person that never likes to go, you know, uh, halfway. It's <laughs> part of my personality, sure. of course. And so, yeah, I, I, I wanted it to be, in, in the introduction of the book, I do talk about, you know, what I don't like about self-help mm -hmm. books. Uh, you know, some self-help books are written by people who have really no expertise in human performance sure. um, uh, and, you know, use a lot of sort of myths to, to help people. Yeah. Some of them are great, of course, but uh, uh, a lot of them are also written by academics who have no real hands-on experience. Practitioners. So, yeah, no, they're not. Uh, they're more, you know, researchers, and they don't have a lot of. Um, uh, the, the, the books are basically a series of studies with 22 su subjects in this group and 21 in that. It's just I find that actually quite boring. Um, so the way I try to write the book is to to use very plain language uh, to to write it like I speak uh, and make it very very practical um and so it's it's sort of i wanted to take all the things i didn't like and i did like about self-help books and put them into 
you know, my own self-help book the best I could. Sure. And so it's, it's, it's a really practical, hands-on type book. Um, and, and I want to make all the books in this series like that. It's, it's sort of, that's why I call it a handbook um, as opposed to like the science of success, for example, or achievement, because that's not what it's, it's not about the, what does all the science say about achievement? It's really about, you know, what, um, what can you do today based on science and, you know, what works with high achievers and what will potentially work for you and your, your unique uh, circumstances. And uh, let's, let's, let's just get right to it. Something that's very practical and doable in the moment. Yes, that's great. Well, I do also, one of the great things I like about what you said, one of the many things that you said, is I really like how you break it down to the foundational piece. Because if someone doesn't have a baseline of where they should start, then they're going to they're gonna be lost. They're going to be adrift. They're not going to know their way. So I really like the fact that you break it down to their personality. They can understand who they are, the nuances of that, and then work with what they have. Yes. And, and, and when I actually first started writing the book, I was writing the second book. So I started for a few weeks writing that book, and I had that exact thought. I said, you know... People may not. I assume that people would already know what their goals and and you know their purpose was. And I thought, you know, a lot of people probably don't know that, and I know they don't know that, or they're focusing on the wrong goals and and the and the wrong, you know, the wrong mission in their life. And and you'll see in in the actual book, I do talk about a lot of examples of people I've worked with who are focusing on the wrong things, and how I, you know I help with them uh, figure out to how to get to what's really important to them, mm-hmm. and then they either tweaked what they were doing or changed their your trajectory altogether and they were in a much happier place sure so so i uh, i realized pretty quickly that you know this is extremely important um and i was also afraid that people may start to use some of the strategies i was recommending in the in the the more advanced books the book two um to, for you know maybe not so ethical reasons mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, not or reasons that are just you know just not incongruent with the environment or 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 their family's well-being yeah. or even their own well-being and i thought look we have to really take it back a step just like stephen covey did in, in the seven habits of highly effective people it's really about you know figuring out um you know bring, uh, begin with the end in mind is you know the first uh, i believe that's mm-hmm. the first or second habit uh you know really figuring out what where do you want to be at the end of all this uh at this life and, and, and how do you want to really live your life and leave a legacy? So I thought that was extremely important to, to do first. Well, it sounds like it's an amazing book, and I'm sure it's going to reach many people. I hope so. Yeah, it's, it's been doing quite well uh, on uh, Amazon um, for a while. It was especially on .ca, Amazon.ca. was number one in sports psychology wow. and personal success. But in, in the U.S., it it's kind of goes up and down pretty easily, sure. actually, depending on what's who i'm competing against i guess uh, in the u.s it was in the top five or something like That's that amazing it's uh it, but it fluctuates so these days it's, it's gone a bit down usually when a book first comes out there there's a giant algorithm that amazon uses so newer books get higher uh mm-hmm. rankings because um, they're featured more yeah of course yes I, i'm surprised how much i didn't care about those things at first i was very <laughs> concerned about where, where it ranked um and over time uh you know i realized how, how little that actually means um you know and, and we all get to recalibrate uh, what's meaningful to sure, us uh, yeah and once we sort of see that you realize yeah, that, that it's, it's just like probably, you know, winning a million dollars. You probably think that would be the greatest thing, and then you win it, and a few months later you realize 
that that's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and, and it's that kind of thing. It's really a, I'm really concerned more now about people actually using the book and using the strategies and uh, and, and making a difference in people's <clears throat> lives. And, and that is way more meaningful. When I get an email from someone who said who says this really changed my life. This book uh, you know did so, such great things for me. When's the second book coming out? That means so much more. That motivates yes. me so much more than if I'm ranked within the top five uh, today on Amazon. So uh, in, within the category. So it's um, it's interesting how that works. Yes. Well, congratulations on all your success. Now, Dr. Friesen, if my listeners would like to find out more information about you, where would they find your information online? Great question. So yeah, on my website, FriesenPerformance.com, uh, I have a newsletter. Uh, I basically send an email every couple of weeks out with uh, podcasts I've been on, or, or I've written some articles for Success Magazine, like Success.com, mm-hmm. or I've been interviewed on certain uh, magazines like uh, Huffington Post or Washington Post about personality and exercise. So I'll send some of those tips along to people or articles I've written for my website, blog posts, for example. Twitter, I'm on Twitter under at uh, Friesen Perform. And Facebook, Friesen Performance or Friesen Sport and Performance Psychology. If you if you search those, you'll find my Facebook group. I tend to post uh, usually a lot of reposting of articles related to success, neuroscience, because of my background in neuroscience, you know, to do with success and health, nutrition articles, stuff about achievement, and some stuff about sports as well. It's it's more focused on achievement and success in general, and, you know, living a meaningful life than sports, uh, even though that's a big part of my clientele. So yeah, those are the best places to keep abreast in terms of what I'm doing, and, and just to get free information that is hopefully helpful. Wonderful. Well, once again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining with me today. Please subscribe to this podcast through whichever podcast portal you joined with me. If you're using iTunes and you like what you hear, please rate this podcast as well as leave your comments on the iTunes podcast page. Also, please visit my website where you may see all my YouTube episodes and published articles I've written for you. You may also enroll in the Lifeology Academy I created where you can take self-directed courses which are designed for successful people just like you. You may find all this information at jamesmillerlifeology.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode today. Have a fantastic week, and I look forward to talking to you very soon.